All right, so let's turn to what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about two things. The first thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the difference between true and false repentance. Between true and false repentance. I know this isn't a shout me down message, but hey, you got to hang with me, all right? Between true and false repentance. And the second thing we're going to talk about is the three things that keep us from repenting. So let's begin here in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Some of you guys may be familiar with this verse. Some of you may be not. I'm going to read it in a translation. It makes it a little bit clearer. It says, for the kind of sorrow, somebody say sorrow. sorrow. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. That's huge. The kind of sorrow, does God want spirit sorrow? Yes. But the kind of sorrow he wants us to experience leads us away from sin and it results in salvation. All right? And it says there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. So listen, to your translation, it may say a... A godly sorrow. Okay, so today we're going to say a godly sorrow. We're going to use the words true repentance. For women, so yeah. yeah. And then it goes on and says, it says, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance. That is so key. A worldly sorrow that lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Okay, that spiritual death simply means separation from God. Okay, so we'll call that worldly sorrow False repentance. Another word for false would be counterfeit repentance. So if you can kind of imagine today, on one side we have true repentance, which is godly sorrow, which produces life in us and it leads us away from sin. You'll follow me? And then on the other side, we have a worldly sorrow, which basically produces basically a wedge between us and God because it doesn't produce forgiveness. Typically, false repentance begins with an attempt to hide or to cover up what's been done. Okay, it typically begins with the desire to hide or to cover up what's been done. But here's the thing. Once a person is caught in their sin, the first thing they do with false repentance is they try to deny it. And how many of you guys have ever been in a spot where you're trying to deny your sin and it's not really working out for you? Right? And so what do you do? You begin to find somebody else to blame. Is that true? Now, here's what I've known, if I can maybe pause at that spot, is so many people at that spot, they go, man, my back's against the wall. I was so busted. I got caught. I can't get out of this. I can't blame anybody else because they're looking at me like, man, you know you did it. Own it, right? What, what I've noticed is there's a lot of people at that point, because they're so afraid of somebody's opinion changing of them, then they decide out of fear of man to say, you know what? I'm sorry. I apologize. Are you all with me? All right, so let's go where... Maybe it hits us a little bit at home a little more. False repentance really carries a flippant attitude. A flippant attitude, all right? Here's uh, what I mean by that. Basically, false repentance is rooted in selfishness. And because it's selfish and its eyes are so much on ourselves, what happens is, is we don't see sin as a big deal. Yes? And it's kind of like this. We kind of go in that mindset. We go, you know, God understands that nobody's perfect. We start using that card. We pull that card, right? God understands nobody's perfect. And so what happens is, is we just kind of take this nonchalant approach to repentance and say, oh, well, God, forgive me. It's kind of just something we do out of good merit. Are y'all following me? The next thing is, is what? It, it's a, it's a, I've noticed people, they want relief, not change. Meaning this, that they've got their, themselves in a really tight spot in life, and they're hurting because of the decisions that they've made that have been wrong. In other words, it's, it's kind of like this. Here you go. I give it to you as a guy that was a college and career pastor for years. Someone goes uh, head over heels. They start dating someone they don't supposed to date. God is saying, hey, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And they will say what? Because once again, it's uh, selfishness and their own flesh says, well, I want that individual. And then the thing blows up in their face and they feel like crap. 
right? Then what happens? God, forgive me. And what it is is they're not really repenting. They're just wanting God to fix their pain. I remember being 16 years old and me and this guy drank a fifth of vodka. Okay? Really smart. I had surgery in my mouth that week. Hadn't ate nothing in a week. And I decided to go drink a fifth of vodka. Stupid. All right? So I got, I don't know. It's pretty tore up. Woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning. I was sleeping on a waterbed, and I thought my cousin was moving on the waterbed. It was not the waterbed moving. (laughs) The room was doing this number. (laughs) I was like, oh, Jesus, help me. Really, I didn't. (laughs) So I remember I I got up, and I went to go to the bathroom, and I fell in the floor because I was so drunk I couldn't stand up. And then I crawled to the toilet, and I puked my brains up. I mean, I just... Threw up everywhere. And I remember I went and laid in the floor and I said this. God, if you will take this from me, I will never drink again. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all acting like y'all, y'all, you know what I'm talking about. Did he take it from me? No. No. And what I do the next day, somebody put a beer in my hand and said, man, I bet you can't drink the whole thing. You want to bet? There went out that thing that I told God. I wasn't looking for change. I was looking for relief. Next thing, it's emotions. Okay? The reason I'm going to say this is because sometimes when we talk about repentance, we think, well, if somebody cried, then it was real. No, it wasn't. That's not a guarantee. It's not a deal breaker, right? We've all been in spots where we've seen somebody cry and snot all over themselves, and they snotted on everybody in a 50-foot radius around them, right? And just, right? And they're hugging everybody, and you literally, you leave, and snot's like all dripping down. I've so been there. I have been there for real. And it's just gross, right? And then a week later, two weeks later, they're doing the same thing that they were crying and snotting about, right? It was an emotional response. The last one is this, and if you say you're not guilty of it, you're a liar. The mentality that says, I'll do it later. What I mean by that? How many of you guys have ever been in that spot where you're about to go do something? Or you're like, man, somebody's in your face and you're about to say something and you know this is wrong. This is not going to be good. I shouldn't do this. And if you remember those old cartoons, it's like, boop, boop, on one shoulder, there's that little angel that looks like you. And then, boop, boop, there's the little devil that looks like you. Right? Y'all remember those cartoons, right? And this guy's going, don't do it, don't do it. And this guy's going, do it, it's going to feel good. Right? Maybe it's just me. Y'all are like super spiritual mode today. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should hand the mic to one of you guys and let you do this. Just me. Thank you. So anyway, so at that thing, what happens is, is, it's just like those cartoons. We're looking at that guy. We're looking at that guy. And we go, Phew. I'm going to say what I want to say. Why? Because I can repent later. Y'all don't act like that's not true. (laughs) Listen, if I could sum up all this about false repentance, I would say it this way. At its core, false repentance really begins and ends with a person's heart. And let me maybe stop here. There can be seasons of true repentance and seasons of false repentance in our lives. Is it okay to say that? Good, because I said it. All right, here we go. So... Listen, a person with false repentance, y'all don't miss this. If you heard anything about false repentance, grab this. A person with false repentance doesn't hate what they have done. They hate the feeling they have to endure and the consequences they have to face because they got caught. Is that not so true? See, a person's heart is really revealed like this. Let's say you just blew it, right? And I come to you and I say this. I say, hey, man, or sis. Man, let's say you have an opportunity to do it again, but this time I can guarantee you don't get caught. 
There'll be no consequences. There'll be nothing. And, if, and I say, you know, would you do it again? And if the answer is yes, then you didn't experience repentance. You experienced regret. And that's the thing. That, that, and you'll find out in a minute that repentance literally changes the way I view that thing. All right, let's talk about true repentance. Here we go. A person that truly repents, the first one is, is they own it. Somebody say they own it. And they own it. Not only do they acknowledge it, but they take responsibility for it. They say, man, that was me. I did it. It's all right here. In other words, they're not looking to blame anybody else. They're not looking to deny it. There's an honesty that's there that says, man, it was me. Right? If I can maybe give you a, um, maybe as we go through these things, and you can read Psalms 51 there on your own. But think about this. Psalms 51 is what David wrote after he slept with Bathsheba, after he had Bathsheba's husband killed, what happened is, is he was going about his business, covering everything up, and the prophet walks in the room, and Nathan, the prophet, sticks his bony fingers in David's face and says, you are the man. And what did David do? He didn't say, Bathsheba made me do it. Right? He didn't give Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. Right? He said this, he said, I am the man, and I and I alone have sinned and sinned against God. Right? He owned the thing. All right? So the next thing is there, and I kind of just said it, but true repentance knows who they've sinned against. Once again, David didn't say, I sinned against Bathsheba, I sinned against her husband. He said, I sinned against God and God alone. True repentance shows this. It sees sin through God's eyes. We can live in a world today where there's so much stuff happening in our media and all that, that literally the moral compass of our nation is turning I've only been a Christian for 20 years, and it's changed dramatically in 20 years, where the Bible says that what they say is evil, they say it's good, and what is good, they say it's evil. It is upon us, right? So it's really easy for us to mess up and to do this, to not look at it through this view and these eyes, but to look at it through the world's eyes and go, well, it's okay. If it feels good, do it. The next thing there is, is a person that has true repentance. They understand that it's deeper than an emotion. They understand that there's a decision to be made. The next thing there is what? Is they understand that that's this. And I don't know if you've ever been in that spot where you really blew it and you came, to, you came before the Lord and you say, God, I don't know how to cleanse myself of this. I don't know how to change me. And that's where we understand, God, I, I need you to do something in me. I need you to change my heart. Because the truth is, he's the only one that can do it. I can come in an agreement with him and allow him to do it, but he's got to be the one to do it. Yes? And then the last one is this, is, is a person that truly repents. They're not necessarily just looking for forgiveness. That's great. We appreciate forgiveness because there's a peace and there's a joy that comes with it. But what happens, true repentance, they desire a life changer. Maybe we can say it this way, is we desire a new heart. Amen? Let me show you this verse in First John. Says It says, if we confess our sins, let me pause right there. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins. The confession of sins doesn't just mean that we just say what we did. The confession of sins means that we say what God said about it. That we say what God has said about it. And then it says this, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. If you can look at it this way, when we, when we come, we say what God says, and we can say, God, i got to have you, that God comes and he reaches down in our heart and he takes away what's in us and he gives us a new heart. Amen? All right. So let me give you this. So repentance at its core is more than just feeling sorry for something you've done. Let, let me throw this definition up. and It's kind of long, but repentance is an inner change of mind or a change of heart. It's really a change of thinking. 
that results in an outward turning around. So watch this. Noah, stand up. So I don't sit in the front row. Move like you're going that way. Move like you're going that way. That there comes a point that he realizes, man, I'm going the wrong way, and he stops. And God begins to deal with his thinking. Revelation comes, and he begins to th- begins to see what he was doing in the way God sees it. And what he literally does is he repents, which means he turns around, right? And it causes him to face in a new direction. Actually, one definition is it says it's an about face. For you guys that have been in the military, it's an about face. And then he, what happens is he begins to move in a completely new direction. Therefore, watch this. Repentance encompasses a change of thinking, a change of heart, a change of action, a change of direction, and a change of purpose. Are you all following me? Let me maybe say it this way. Let me make it more in a real simple way. There's proof that you've repented. Right? That there's proof in it. There's something that somebody can look at your life and go, man, there, there's definitely something has shifted, something has changed. Amen? So to understand this, repentance really carries two things. There's a turning from sin, but there's also a turning to. So two things. There's a turning from and there's a turning to. Now, what do we turn into? Remember we said in Matthew four seventeen, Jesus came and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is the kingdom of heaven? Okay, listen, we try to make that all something spiritual. The kingdom of heaven simply means this. It simply means God's way of doing things. So what happens is, is Jesus is coming and he's knocking on our heart. Why? Because he wants us to turn from our way of doing things, right? He wants us to turn from that to turn to his way of doing things. That's pretty simple, right? You know, people say it's a 180, it's all those things, but that's really where it boils down to, is I've been running and I've been doing my life my way, and God says, look, I want you to repent, I want you to turn, and I want you to do it my way. Let me maybe say this something to you. Really, that's in the decisions we make, it's in our money, it's in how we run our family, it's in, literally, it's in every area. God has a way He wants us to do those things. Amen? Three things that hinder us from true repentance or hinder us from repenting, however you want to word it. I want to try to make this as practical as I can, okay, and just as real as I can. Three things that hinder us from true repentance. Number one, this is all really true. Number one, the comparison game. The comparison game. You know, I've learned that most people see sin everywhere except in the mirror. Do you hear that? That people see sin everywhere except in the mirror. In other words, if I, if I came to this, I said, okay, guys, show me where you see sin. And people start throwing all stuff, throwing all stuff. But nobody will say, in me. <laughs> it's in me. You know that's true, right? Look, let's be honest. The main reason we have a hard time taking a long look in the mirror is because we are so busy comparing our sins to everyone else's. In 20 years of interaction with people, and obviously much interaction with people that don't know God, you know, I've seen thousands of people come into the kingdom. But I've seen also a lot of people be talked to that turn the other way. Okay? Now, here's what's so interesting about that. One of the things that keeps people from saying, okay, man, I need Jesus, is because they compare themselves to everybody else. And they go, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. So think about that. As we talk about this as well, okay? Let me kind of stay on my notes here. When we fall into the trap called the comparison game, we will constantly try to convince ourselves, convince others, and even convince God that we're better than we really are. Is that not true? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy today. I love this. All right. 
Listen, we think things like this. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or how many times have I heard people say this? Well, you know, at least I've never done that because I would never do that. And the truth is, is we say things like that because it makes us look not so bad. And we like looking not so bad. Because if we can look not so bad, then what happens is, is we don't really see our need to go repent. It's kind of like this. Let me just get straight with it. Something's out of whack in your marriage and you pop up in the room. I have said this. Well, at least I don't cheat on you. How stupid. You know, I canceled somebody last week and they, they uh, whatever, their wife was uh, being beat by their husband. You don't have it so bad. You think the Holy Spirit's really concerned about that? <laughs> Not at the moment, <laughs> right? Are y'all with me? It, it's, it's, like, it's like we do things and then we justify it by the, by the wrong of others. So true. So true. Um, once again, that kind of removes our need to repent. Now watch this. All that form of justification may seem really good to us, but it doesn't really work for God. Right? Let me show you a verse here. I think it's in Luke. Luke 18. Watch this. This is Jesus' opinion about what we're talking about, the comparison game. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. You get that? They thought they were the junk and everybody else, whatever. Okay? And then it says in verse 10, it says, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, we know, it's a religious person of the day. And the other was a despised tax collector. Now understand this, a despised tax collector was the worst of the worst in the Jewish community. In fact, they would basically call them dogs. They, they said they weren't even to the level of human beings. All right, so they would literally come, and even the Pharisees, they would walk by and they would throw their money at them and basically curse them and walk on. That's how these guys weren't at the bottom of the barrel. They were under the barrel, you know, when it came to as far as morals and how people viewed them. So two men went to the temple. One was a Pharisee and the other was a spice tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself. Everybody get that. Nobody else was around him. Nobody wants to be around self-righteous people. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Somebody say comparison game. I thank you that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Get that. So right here they're praying. Here's the Pharisee. Over there's the tax collector. And he literally says, I thank you that I'm not like him. So he could hear him say that. Y'all follow me? If you ever want to get physical and lay hands in church, that's the moment, right? So watch this. Watch what he does. The Pharisee says, God, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. It says, but the tax collector there stood at a distance. Let me pause there. Isn't it funny that when we're playing the comparison game, we always want to focus on what we do right and what everyone else does wrong? I'm amazed at how much grace and mercy we extend to ourselves and how little we give to everyone else. So true. And then it goes on, it says this, it says, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, godly sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Notice the uh, tax collector was only concerned about one person, himself. Now, watch how Jesus summed all this up right here. He said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, Return home justified before God. What does justified mean? Basically in right standing. Forgiven. And then he goes on and says this. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Listen, here's the point. The comparison game will always blind us of our own sin. And it keeps us from true repentance. 
Just like that guy, once again, he, he, what did he do? He didn't, he didn't point out someone that was better than him. He pointed out someone that was lower than him in his mind. Someone that was less spiritual. And because he did that, he literally missed the self-righteousness in his own heart. Is that true? Now, let me say this. I kind of said it earlier, but I, I am convinced that God is more concerned with me than he is with anybody else. Take that for yourself, too. That he's concerned with you more than he is anybody else. Why is that? It's simply because of this. It's because God's going to only deal with you what you can control and not what you can't control. That was better than you realized. Do you understand that? Okay, let me help you out here. <laughs> How many times have we been in an argument with our spouse? Or in an argument with somebody at work? Or whatever. And we go to prayer to tell God about it. And we want to tell God about our spouse. We want to tell God about that dude in the parking lot. We want to tell God about that dude at the office, that dude that we work with, whatever. And and it seems like the Lord doesn't have anything to say about those people. And it just makes us mad. You you know, it's it's almost like you want him to come pat you on the shoulder and go, yeah, I know they're messed up. (laughs) He doesn't do that, does he? He says, let's talk about you. That's what I mean. He is more concerned with me than he is with anybody else. Because at that moment, that person's went about their way. Right? They have went about their way. And guess what? It's up to God to deal with them. But at the moment, God's going to deal with me and how I responded to that. Amen? All right. The next one. Here we go. Number two. Second thing that can hinder us from true repentance is this. The categorizing of sin. The categorizing of sin. Listen, it's so easy to get called up categorizing. I mean this. We have this big sins group, and we have this medium sins group, and then we have this little, 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 little bitty sins groups, and we always want to put ourselves right there. <laughs> y'all know I'm giving y'all the truth today. Listen, when we do this, we fall back into the same trap that the Pharisee was in. Let's go back to our good buddy in Luke 18. It says this. It says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like the other people. Cheaters. Sinners. Adulterers, you know God, one of those big sins. Right? Listen, let, let me help us all out here. When we do that, we deceive ourselves into thinking God doesn't see things like this. Let me give you just a few. How about our little white lies? And there's a thing that I really felt prompted to tell you today, so I'm going to tell you. How about the ways that we spin things to make it look like one thing when the truth is really something else and we know it is? That's a lie. Yes? Let me tell you, it's a lack of integrity. God's concerned with our lack of integrity, right? How about our impure thought patterns? Notice I didn't say impure thoughts. They're going to come. Our impure thought patterns, things that we've agreed with. How about our selfish agendas, our selfish motives, our selfish ambition? How about our conceit, our self-centeredness? How about our self-reliance? How about our lack of honor for authority? And yes, that's you if you want to dog our government. That's you too. Hello? Read the Bible, right? If you don't have anything good to say, do what your mama said. Don't say nothing. All right, here we go. And I'm not sitting here saying I'm some huge bandwagon. I'm not. Okay, I'm not a political guy, but listen, that's who God chose. Right? It's my job to pray. Amen? I felt that way about the last president and the one before that and the one before that. And I gritted my teeth and all through my tongue a whole lot, and I prayed. All right? Yes. So, because God sees that. All right, so how about... Our dishonor, the dishonor we have for our parents. How about the way we provoke our children to wrath because we know what buttons to push? Yes. How about how we can't keep our own word, that we tell somebody one thing and then something better comes up and we go do that instead? 
right? How about our gossip? The sin that nobody wants to talk about in the church? The church. How about unforgiveness? How about a critical tongue? How about jealousy? Envy? How about covetousness? How about greed? Vanity? How about a lack of love? How about racism? How about a lack of teachability? Stubbornness? How about anger? It's kind of this, guys. We got to, we got to get this, family. He sees all of that. You, you know, we think, well, I kill nobody. But the Bible says if you hate them, you already have. Right? Listen, remember what God said. He said this, and this is why he majors on all that. Because he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And what it is, we think because we don't have this in our life anymore, and we've kind of moved on from that, we think these things over here don't really affect us. But they do. Yes? They do. And and what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and goes, and you go, Yes? We've all done it, including this guy. We've all done it this week, including this guy. Right? Yes. All right, last thing, number three. This is all up in the Pharisee again, but it's in us too. Number three is pride. It is the greatest thing. If I could give you one thing, it would be this thing. So if you had not heard anything, hear this for the second time, right? It's pride. How do we know if this is us? Consider these things for a moment. A person who is truly broken before the Lord will be broken before people. Now, what I mean by broken is I don't mean that there's some kind of self-hate, because that's not God. I don't mean that there's some kind of, uh, you know, you're full of all kinds of insecurities. That's not God. I don't mean lack of confidence. That's not God either. But by brokenness, I mean that there's a true humility that's in your heart. Okay? Now, let me explain it this way. If a person is really humble before God, then they will consistently display humility before people. You see, a humble person will have the uh, have a tenderness towards others. And I have to say this to you today, that a, a humble person desires unity and peace in a relationship more than they desire to be right. Are you hearing me? Some of us, we just want to win an argument. No, you're full of, you're, we're full of pride at that moment. The goal is not to win. The goal is for restoration. Listen, a humble person doesn't need to have the last word. Say that to you again. A humble person doesn't need the last word. I'm amazed how many times we can, you know, somebody says something, we go, we walk out of the room before they can get it, right? Before they even have a chance, we got to pop off what we want to say and we move on, right? Prove our point, slap somebody in the face, get on with it, right? It's wrong, okay? Listen, a humble person doesn't have to be apologized to first. I'm not talking to them unless they come talk to me. Pride. See, the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. So if I approach someone, I say, you know what, man, I blew it. Man, forgive me. Guess what? It turns away that wrath, all those issues. Yes? Listen, I cannot tell you how many times in our marriage, I love my wife, but how many times I have walked to the other room and I have said, God... And the Holy Spirit goes, I'm glad you came. <laughs> right? And then it's like, you go do this. And it's so funny. It's, it's this. Let me say it to you this way. It, it's this side of going, man, let me go own my part of this. Not worry about her part, my part. Why? Because a gentle answer turns away wrath. Right? 
And yes, I'm like you. I hate those moments too. All right. So they're hard. But listen, there's an, there's an openness and there's a teachability and there's a vulnerability. There's a softness. There's a pliability in a humble person's heart. Right? God can speak and there's something that for us to do. Now watch this. On the other hand, a prideful person is really stubborn. As we would say in the South, they'll argue with a fence post. Right? They'll argue. You ever met those kind of people? Don't look at your spouse. All right, here we go. A stubborn person, watch this, or stubbornness manifests itself in an unwillingness or begrudging way when it comes to these simple words. I'm wrong. What I said was wrong. What I did was wrong. Please forgive me. A prideful person has a really hard time saying those words. I've been there. Really, really hard time saying those words. But here's what's so wild. A prideful person, just so you know, even if they do this, even if they go, you know what, man, look, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. A prideful person goes, but I have to tell you that if you wouldn't have done blah, 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 then I wouldn't have done blah, blah, blah. You missed the point. Completely. Yes? Because what it is, once again, a prideful person has to blame someone else for their sins. Okay, instead of once again coming, so, you know, that's on me, and, you know, and I'm going to leave you to you, to you to God. You're, it's up to you all. Listen, I, I've come to find out that the acid test and all of this is not with those people that we're trying to put our best foot forward with, or those people that we're trying to impress, because we all got those people, right? The, the true acid test in all of this is how do we do all of this when it comes to our spouse, when it comes to our children, when it comes to our parents, when it comes to really close friends. The, the acid test in those moments is this. is can I humble myself enough to say, yes, I'm sorry. Can I swallow my pride? Can I eat crow? Can I genuinely apologize? Once again, not because there's something for me to gain. Yeah. Right? But there's something in there that I understand from my own words and actions. I am hindering. I am damaging a God-given relationship. And, man, I just want it to be healthy. All right, so let me say this. We're, we're about to close, but... You you may be thinking today, okay, Pastor, what in the world does basically repenting with people have to do with repenting to God? Here's what I've learned in 20 years, is that what happens in the natural realm is a reflection of what's really happening in the spiritual realm. In other words, if my heart's not right with all of y'all, then my heart's definitely not right over here with him. That's what I've learned. Once again, there's a tenderness with him, there'll be a tenderness with people. And so the reason I say all those things is because of this, is if you are stubborn as a mule with your spouse, then guess what? That just shows that you really haven't surrendered before the Lord. You follow me? That's funny. Quit telling him that's him. All right, here we go. That you really haven't surrendered. You really haven't submitted to the Lord and say, man, Lord, I'm yours. You you know, let me maybe say this. I was thinking about this morning. Man, when's the last time just in the church world as a whole that people have really got before the Lord at an altar and say, God, do what you got to do. So we, we rush in, ooh, feel good about ourselves, rush out. Instead of going, you know, I came in one way and I came out the exact same way. When's the last time we really got before the Lord and said, Lord, search me and know me, if there's any wicked way within me. See, here's what we miss about that scripture. is we think when the Lord says, when we say, search me and know me, we think that that means, okay, we're going to give God a moment to look. God's already looked. That moment is not about him, it's about you. Because what it is, is search me and know me, and you wait upon the Lord to go, all right, God, let me see what you see. Let me see what you see, and then we'll deal with it, right? All right, let me give you this last thing, and we're done. And I think this is for somebody, not sure who, but we'll say it. 
when I was studying, this came in my heart. Let me share a scripture with you. It's Isaiah chapter 6. And first you're going to look and go, what in the world does that have to do about repentance and pride? But it's a whole lot. Watch this. It says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on the lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, that's angels, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet and with two they flew. Awesome portion of scripture. We know the crowd of holy, holy, holy. And we know that one angel uh, flew off. And, and what did he do? He, he took the coal and, and, uh, because, because you had Isaiah saying, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm among people of unclean lips. And he took the coal, put it to Isaiah's mouth, and he said, Now you're cleansed. And, and then it goes on and it says that he overheard the Lord say, Whom shall go for us? Whom shall we send? And then he said that powerful, powerful statement, Here am I, Lord, send me. Watch this. When most people read this, if your experience is like mine, they focus on the glory of God, they focus on the angels, they focus on the answering of the call, and those things are right and they're good, but they're really missing the key point of it. Watch this. Let me show you something. Notice in the first statement, go back to the the first verse, please. It says, in the year, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. God is an intentional God. I've told you that a hundred times, right? So when God mentions someone, there's a reason he mentioned someone. Are you with me? So our job when we see something that kind of seems, what's that there for, is to look into that and go, okay, God, why did you mention him? Why was at that point when King Uzziah died, why was it significant that something happened? Why did you think it was important to label or talk about that guy? If you go for time's sake, if you look in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you'll see that this guy, this king, Uzziah, started off at 16 years old as the king of the nation. And he did awesome. Until it came to one point where, guess what? Pride entered his heart, and he began to do it his way. And he began to basically become like he was the priest. And he went into the church. In other words, he stepped out of his lane. And what happened with him is, is basically leprosy came upon him then basically God drove him out and the guy died from leprosy. But here's the thing. In the theological world, King Uzziah represents pride. So watch this. So we could read it like this. It was in the year that pride died that I saw the Lord. Listen to this. If we are not seeing the glory of God in our lives that we desire, if we are not experiencing the presence of God in our lives, like we desire, if we are not experiencing the anointing of God moving in our lives, like we desire, if we are not seeing the call of God come forth in our life like we thought it should be, or like it's been prophesied, or however you want to word it, then we need to pull it back, and we need to say, Lord, search me and know me, and if he reveals anything that's there, any pride, because that's probably the key, the reason it's the, the hindrance there, we need to repent of that thing, and we need to do this. We need to let God come and search and find and kill the King Uzziah's in our heart. Yes. Are you with me today? Stand to your feet, please. Let me maybe say this. Notice, notice that it was, wasn't until pride died that the glory of God showed up. I have to tell you this. Over the years, one, one of my things I like reading the most about is revival. I love revival. And, and what's revival? I'll give it to you really simple. It's when God gets tired of being misrepresented, he decides to show up. Right? That the church does their thing and they do their little, well, this is how God is and all that stuff. And God finally says, enough is enough. I'm coming in. And one of the marks of revival is this. It's repentance. 
In every revival, repentance comes. You know, I, I referred to you guys about the, a revival that happened in Scotland on many occasions. It was off the island of Lewis or Louis and, and the island of basically the Hebrony Islands. And what happened is, is even there, basically, even this, I'll, I'll rewind. They were in church one day and basically they had a little church service and, and they were expecting God to show up and God didn't show up. A 17-year-old boy got on his knees in the altar and began to cry out to God and say, God, this is not what you promised us. And in that moment, as he was praying, there was a dance that was at a barn that had a 100 young people in it. The power of God fell in that place. And what happened? They didn't keep dancing. They ran for the church, and they fell on their face, and they repented. Because there's something about when God shows up, you see who you really are. The comparison game goes out the door. The categorizing of sin goes out the door. When you get for a holy God, pride goes out the door. Right? And you got to say, God, deal with me. And it was through that weeping, that process of letting God come and purge them with fire and really yank the sin out of them. Guess what? That God began to move and he swept through nations. So let me say this to you guys. This morning, I realized that it was two years. This is the two years that we came and we interviewed. And I said, oh, I didn't, okay, Lord didn't really notice that. Two years. And, and it's kind of, it took me a year to really get my, my stuff in gear with you guys. I didn't realize the mourning process that was going to take of leaving one place that you were there so long and coming to a new place that's totally different from where you ever grew up. I, I underestimated all of that. And it's this understanding, I realized that we're just really getting started. We are. We are. We're just really getting started because this is definitely not what God promised in my heart. <laughs> yes? So here's the thing, guys. I, all I can say is this. Is I know it's got to be, be spirit-led. That God, God's got to do it. But we can't shy away from repentance. We can't shy away from the altar. We can't shy away from spending time with God and saying, God, search me and know me. We got to do that in our private. We got to do that corporately. We got to let God do his thing. Yes, but it's got to be him motivated. But I would encourage you to do this. One of my prayers is this, is God bring revival, but start in me. Because the last thing I need to do is worry about everybody else. Once again, he's concerned with me. So what's hindering me from having genuine revival in my own heart? Yes? Listen, the first and greatest form of repentance, of turning away from doing things our way, turning things his way, the starting place there, once again, is just giving our lives to Jesus. It's just surrendering, saying, Jesus, I got to have you. You know, we would be unfair to give people opportunity this morning. So if you're here today and you know, hey, pastor, look, I'm not right with God and I need to get right with God. Man, now's your moment. And just so you kind of understand this, when we repent and we, we're basically doing this, we understand that God's holy and we're not. But we understand that he provided the, the antidote, if you will, for sin through the cross. And so Jesus came and he died in our place so that our sins could be forgiven and we all know that he rose again on the third day, so he's alive, which simply means that God accepted the sacrifice that he paid on the cross. And if you're here today and you go, man, Pastor, I need, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Plain and simple. I've been running and doing it my way. I need to do it his way. If that's you, just lift your hands. We're not going to embarrass you. If that's you, you say, man, I need to go right with Jesus. I just want to make that opportunity. Thank you. Anybody else? Thanks. Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. I'm going to kind of say something that maybe it's, that's a little, little unique. If you're here and you say, man, Pastor, I want, man, I just want a soft heart before the Lord. I want revival in my own heart. I'm tired of playing the comparison game. I'm tired of categorizing sin. I'm tired of pride getting in the way. It's not only affecting my relationships here, but it's affecting my relationship with you. And I need you to do something about it. If that's you, please lift both hands and keep them up. Yeah. I'm going to give you a moment 
in your own heart, just to say, God, forgive me. Just, God, forgive me. God, we want to be people that are marked by true repentance. God, we want to be marked as people that long to have clean hands and a pure heart. God, not people that are stubborn and arrogant and and self-righteous that we've got to have it our own way. But God, we want our hearts to be just clay in your hands. God, we want to be so moldable. God, we want to go your way. We don't want to go our way. And so, Lord, today, if it's the first time, or God, maybe it's just a, it's a prayer, God, we say, man, you are Lord and you are Master. We're reminded again today that you bought us with a price, with the blood. We didn't, we didn't pay for the sin ourselves. You paid for it. And so, Lord, today, we just ask that you would just come down and grab a hold of our heart as only you can. And, Lord, that you would begin to shift and change what needs to be shifted, what needs to be changed, what needs to be made new, what needs to be broken. Let it be broken. God, we want to be people that are just humble before you. And, Father, we ask today with our hands lifted, God, we just ask for revival. God, we ask for an awakening of your spirit, of your heart, of your power, God, in us. And so, Lord, today... I just pray, God, over all these people, things I've prayed a thousand times. God, break our hearts with the things that break your heart. God, let us hate what is evil and let us love what is good. God, we, won't, we don't want to be indifferent from you. God, we want to be like you. So come and make us more like your son. Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. God, let, it, let what established here today, God, let it keep going in every person in Jesus' name. Amen.